All right, all right. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Grab your insert. If you have a phone, you can go to Uversion, go to events, hit Church on the Rock, and those inserts will be right there. You know, a lot of people, many people, think that happiness is just a matter of luck. It's you're happy because you just got lucky. You were in the right place, the right time, you knew the right people, and circumstances were just smile on you, and, and a lot of people say, think that and would say, congratulations to you. But how many know that happiness comes from God and the favor and grace of God on our life, but actually happiness is also something that you can learn. I want you to bump your neighbor and say, happiness is something that can be learned. It can be learned. Hallelujah. If we learn happiness in our life, our happiness will go up exponentially. But if it's unlearned, if happiness is unlearned, then our happiness will go down. So today I'm going to read the scripture in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 30 today. And uh, while I'm reading this, I want you to see if you can discover and see four important qualities that we need to build in our life. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, I call this church Bethel, house of bread. And Father, we thank you that man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. Lord, we thank you for the ability to communicate. We thank you that your word is going to touch our mind, change our heart, and be something that we act on this week. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says here, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be, I want you to see this, so I may be cheered when I receive the new, good news about you. Look at this. I have no one else like him. Talking about Timothy. I have no one else like him. Man, my ears perked on that. Paul's saying no one else like him after his own interests. He's not after his own interests, but he's, at, he's after the interests of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. Paul said, I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I can to see how you know things are going with me. I'm confident that I myself will come soon, but I think it's necessary also to send back, look at this other guy, Epaphroditus. And then notice it says of Epaphroditus, the second guy, it says, he's my brother, he's my fellow worker, and he's a fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. Remember Paul sitting in prison, he's chained to a guard 24-7. He's in Rome. He, he's really being persecuted and suffering for the Lord, and he wrote this in prison. Well, this church in Philippi was sending a gift through this Aphroditus. But God had mercy on him. And, and, oh, and it goes on to say, for he longs, this Aphroditus, he was there, but he longs for all of you, his home church, and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. I want you to look at that. Indeed, he was ill, and he almost died, but God had mercy on him, not on him, on him only, but also me, to spare sorrow upon sorrow, which is the opposite of happiness. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him back to you, so that when you see him again, look at this, when you see him, you will be glad. And Paul said, I'll have less anxiety. And then he said, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and look at this, and honor men like him. Why? Because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life so that he, to make up for the help that, that you couldn't give me. 
When you look at this scripture, when I read that, I was like, wow, that's going to be tough to preach on that. What can we get out of this? Because at first glance, it doesn't seem like a very important passage. And you might even ask, you might be like, why is it even in the Bible? This is like a personal story about Paul and two guys that it's hard to even pronounce one of their names. And we might even think that it's one of those passages that we just look at and then we can kind of just skip over it. But actually, it's one of the most powerful, life-changing things in the Bible, I believe. And it's, there's four clear choices in here that lead to happiness. And today, what I want us to do is I want us to see that. But as he was in prison... Paul endorsed these two guys as role models. And I want you to see what he said about them first and foremost. Uh, with regards to Timothy, he said this, I have no one like him. Imagine God saying, I've got no one like that guy. Imagine, Tim, imagine Paul, writer of two-thirds of the, of the New Testament, saying, you know that guy, Gary? There's nobody like this guy. And then he talks about this other guy, Epaphroditus, and he says, that guy, he's an amazing person too. And when you see him, honor him. Honor this guy. So Paul was endorsing these guys huge. But then he said, the reason that I'm sending this Aphroditus back to you is because it's good for you. He said, so that I may cheer, be cheered, so that you may be glad and I'll have less anxiety. So when it talks about happiness, Paul said, I'm sending this guy back because I need to be happy. And then you can be happy, and it can decrease the anxiety that we're having about him not being there. So the reason that this series, and the reason I want to go through this series and talk about happiness in this particular scripture is because I want you to be happy, I want me to be happy, and I want to have less anxiety that everybody's doing okay. So we see here some real, there's four qualities for our happiness to grow. Number one is we need to shift the focus away from myself. We need to shift the focus. You know, that's the starting point for our happiness to begin to go up, is I have to care less and less about me, and I need to be able to not only see, but I need to see people's needs, and I need to care about others that are around me. If all I think about is me, 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 and me, myself, and I, then I'm going to be a miserable person. I really believe that. And I believe that truly to be happy in life, I've got to move the focus. If you've noticed the focus in this scripture, the way Paul was talking and the way he was talking to that church, you're going to see that the focus was not on them. It was always on the people outside of them. If you're out there, say amen. Paul said, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine, genuine interest in your welfare. For everybody else just looks out on their own interest. How many would say that's probably true? That people's just always looking out for their own interests. Everybody looks out for their own interests, and few people are looking out for your interests. And uh, really, I started thinking about that. When I think about people that really are interested in me, you know, it could be a short list. And some of you might even be able to say, I don't even know if I have anybody on my list. But can you name people? that really have you on their mind, and they're truly, genuinely interested in you. Paul said this guy, Timothy, he is, no one's like him. He's genuinely interested in you, and he's not interested in just on him. You know, most of us just don't wake up in the morning and, and saying, man, I'm thinking about thus and so. I know they're going through a hard time. 
man, I, I know that this uh, marriage is going through a hard time, or, this situ- or there's something happening at work on this guy, or, or they had a bad day yesterday. Most of us just don't jump up out of bed, and we're automatically thinking about others. But Paul said, Timothy is that way. He has a genuine interest in your welfare. He genuinely cares about you. Look at this next part. It says, for everyone looks out for their own interest, not on the interest, not on, for everyone looks out on his own interest, not those that are in Jesus Christ. If you look up, look, if you look up that looks out in the Greek, it means that they've got your, it's a matter of focus and they have your back. In other words, hey, I'm looking out for you. I'm a friend that you can trust. I'm a friend that's going to be there, and my eyes are on you. I'm seeing where you're at, and I'm looking out for you. In fact, I'm seeing things that you're not even seeing because you're too close to it. How many of us have friends like that that, 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 that are doing that? But, but Paul said that this guy, Timothy, his eyes aren't on himself, but his, his head's always on a spindle, and he's always genuinely interested, and he's looking out for others. Brothers and sisters, if you truly want to be happy, we've got to quit being self-absorbed and wrapped up in ourself and wrapped up in only what's happening to us and only what's happening happening to us and what people are doing to us. And we get so wrapped up in that that we can't see around. I want to give some fatherly advice, or maybe not fathers if I'm maybe not older than you, but just some advice to single adults. It's better to sit at home than to have a date with a person that's self-centered. Any man or woman that's wrapped up in his self or herself is no gift. Self-absorbed people only think about what makes them feel good at the moment. They don't have the respect for you. They don't regard anybody else but themselves, and they wonder why relationships just aren't working. You know what? Confession time. Confession time of Brian. I, I know I miss needs. I know I get self-absorbed in my eyes on self to where things are probably going by me every day. There's probably things that are happening to people that I love strategies of the enemy against people I love, things going on with them, but I'm so wrapped up in myself that I'm not looking out like I need to. And that grieves me, and I'm trying hard. I just don't want to preach things. I'm trying hard to shift my focus off of me and to shift it on the Lord and to shift it on others. And if we'll do that, that's a key to happiness. Number two. The second thing on learn to be happy is becoming someone that people can trust. You need to become someone that people will trust. And I know the more people trust you, the happier you'll be. We can learn that trustworthy means, uh, if, if somebody's a trustworthy person, that means that they're reliable. That means that they're steady. It means they're conti- consistent. It means there's somebody you can depend on. They're there for you. If we develop this quality of being trustworthy, we're going to be happy. I love this scripture in Proverbs eleven thirteen. It says, a gossip betrays confidence, but a trustworthy person is able to keep a, sec- a secret. A trustworthy person is able to, in the King James it says, to conceal a matter. You know, Matt, there's times that we just got to get real and talk to each other. In group, there's times that we gotta really be real with people, 
And man, when you're real with people, you got to only be real with people that you know are trustworthy people. That are not gossips, but they can conceal a matter. I think it's real important. Confession is good for the heart. You know, there's sometimes we've confessed to the Lord and we're forgiven of things and we feel good with the Lord, but your conscience and your emotions kind of aren't lining up with what you know God thinks about you. So, so when I can't get over stuff, I know that I need to let it out and tell someone. And when I do that, it lets a load off me. And I have friends I can do that with, but the ones I do it with, I know that they can conceal that matter. When I, when I want to be, if I, want, I believe when we become trustworthy, it makes us happier because it, it, it's something when somebody trusts you with information or they trust you to ask you your help or your advice or, 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 or what you can do in a situation, what they're really saying is, I honor you. I respect you. I trust you. I, I, I love you. I, I believe in the person that you are. And when we're trustworthy people and people do that to us, you're not doing it to get it, but it raises your happiness level. It really does do that. And the, here's the opposite of that. A proverb says, uh, oh no, here's another scripture. I, um, there's another proverb that says smart people keep quiet about what they know. When, when people do that, it's a, it's a good thing. Then this verse 22 says that Timothy has proven himself. Because he's a son with his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. I want you to circle or underline that proven himself. I want to kind of unwrap that a little bit. But what Paul's saying there is he said, hey guys, I've watched this guy. I've seen him in all kinds of circumstances and situations and testing. And I'm here to tell you that this guy's authentic. He's genuine. He's trustworthy. He's dependable. He's reliable. You can count on this guy. You know, every time we go, how many has ever had a bank loan? I'm sure we have. When we go in, we all have what we call a credit check. And the reason they're taking that credit check is to see if you're trustworthy. To see, uh, like, like the other day, we had to get a little, uh, a, a little bit on our, the, the trailer, that, or the fifth wheel that we now live in. And our credit was like 820 or something. And I said, is that good, Carmen? She said, it's excellent. Anything after 800 is good, she said. So, so I was like, oh, good. Why? Because, Car- because Carmen does the bills. She's trustworthy. <laughs> if it was me, it would probably be like 500. <laughs> she's trustworthy. She's reliable. She pays her bills on time. And the bank knows when they, when they she's credible. When they give her something, she's going to give it back. You know what? There, when, when we think about that and we think about how, how, how that is with a bank, here's the fact is everybody around you does a credit check on your life all the time. People around you do that. Paul said, you know what kind of person this is? He's proven. He's verified. He checks out. He's good. So how do we develop this relations, this uh, reputation of being reliable? Two things. One is we live with integrity. We make sure that our actions match our words, that we're not all blow and no go. The Bible says reliable friends who do what they say, look at this, are like cool drinks in sweltering heat. How many of you like it when somebody does what they say? They're reliable. They're trustworthy. They're like a cool drink in a sweltering day. You can count on them. They're not going to flip-flop. The opposite of that in Scripture is this. Putting confidence in an unreliable person, I love this, 
is like chewing with a toothache or walking on a broken foot. That's an unreliable person. They're a toothache or walking on a broken foot. So the greatest ability is dependability and trustworthiness. And two is I keep my, my promises. God blesses the person who sweareth to his own hurt. And when the, 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 when the meaning for that, sweareth to his own hurt, in the um, Hebrew is this. It means you keep a promise even when you find out it costs more than you thought. You know, Brett was talking about that they were separated. I don't know the details on, on, on that. But we have two people that said we're keeping our promise to each other even when it hurts. Even when it's costing me something right now. Even when it's, it's caused something that I'm feeling right now. But we're committed to this. It costing something right now. Y- you know what? I, I never seen anything like, like, to me when you get a bid on a business, the reason you get a bid, sorry businessmen if you uh, do this, but uh, the reason you get a bid is so you know it to pay. And, and when I get a bid, I expect that when I go on, it's going to be that bid. And, 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 or less, I've even had a mechanic in the last couple of weeks do some stuff. And I said, Carmen, I've never had a mechanic that gives you a bid. And both times it's been less than he said. People want to come back and say, here's my bid, but it took more time. It took more hours. It took more materials or whatever. No, you swear, you keep your word even when it hurts. Brothers and sisters, when we do that, there's a reciprocation that happiness comes to me. So number one, if I want to be happy, I've got to shift my focus off me. Two, I've got to be someone that people can trust. And number three, I have to learn to work w- well with others. What am I really talking about here? Think about this. Paul was a superstar. Paul was a superstar, yet he knew he was more effective, not alone, but working together. We even think about the super, superstar Michael Jordan. But guys, he had a team around him. And Michael Jackson was a superstar, but he also knew that he was greater with Scottie Pippen and the people around him. If you know what I'm talking about when you, you guys watch that. Uh, Coach Nagy. Coach Nagy with the Chicago Bull Bears. I'm telling you, the Bears are going to be tough. I'm thinking this year they're going to be better defense than the 85 Bears. I really think it. I think the ingredients are there. I think the ingredients are there. I think the ingredients are there. Boy, you guys have been quiet all day, and now I start talking about the Bears, and you're seeming alive. Something wrong with that picture. Come on now. Something's wrong with that picture. But, uh, man, the Bears. I, I'm actually feeling some passion about the Bears. Uh, but, but, man, the, the offense is there and, and all that. But here's what Nagy's able to do. Nagy has been an incredible coach. To, how many of you guys have seen coaches or managers, managers in baseball that can't handle superstars, and, and coaches in basketball? Even Alex over here. Alex manages UFC fighters. But imagine when Alex gets hotheads and superstars. It takes an amazing person to be able to coach that kind of personality. But, um, uh, but Nagy has taken the ability to where he can take a bunch of superstars and make them work well together. Paul said these guys work well together. So in doing that, the first thing that we have to do to work well with others is we got to learn to cooperate. we got to learn to pe- cooperate. You know, we, uh, the scripture says uh, 
that Aphroditus was the example of this quality. He said, I'll send back you, Aphroditus, my brother, my fellow worker, and my fellow soldier. I want you to circle my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger who has taken care of my needs. In other words, this guy was a team member. He worked well with others. He wasn't a diva or a maverick. Uh, seriously, uh, the better you learn this skill, I believe, the happier we're going to be. But, but look at this, that Paul uses three metaphors about teamwork. And what he's saying is life and ministry. And something I was thinking about this morning is life and ministry. And everybody's sitting here. Everybody has a team, whether it's team family, whether it's teamwork, whether it's team church. We're all a part of a team. We're all a part of a tribe. We're all a part of a family. So what he's saying here is life and ministry is first a family. He says, he's my brother. The second thing he said is he's a fellowship. He's a fellow worker. We, we work hard together. We serve hard together. We share the same task and goals. We have, we, 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 in this church, we share the same task and goals with the Great Commission. Uh, for us to have cooperation in a family, we have to share the great goals of what we want to be as a family. For us to have a great business or us to have a great marriage, we have to uh, uh, cooperate, no teamwork, to what is it that we need to do and, and have that same task and goal. And then notice this, he said, and a fighter. He was a fellow soldier, knowing it was a battle. Knowing that it was a battle. So we need to, when we're learning to work well with others, we need that one. And here's the second one. To work well with others is I need to learn to be considerate. I need to learn to be considerate. Considerate means that we're to be thoughtful, kind, sympathetic, understanding of others. The more considerate we are of others, the happier that we'll be. I love how this goes. Look at this. He said, I must send. Paul said, I must send this Aphrodite back to you. Look at this. Because he longs to see all of you because he's been worried about your distress. Guys, think about that on consideration. We're talking about a guy that just about died taking this letter. He was ill to the point of death. He wasn't thinking about his sickness. He wasn't thinking about his journey. He was upset and worried because he was afraid that his home church was worrying about him. That's considerate. That's considerate. He, he said, I know you guys are worrying about me because you heard that I was sick. And then the next thing we see in that scripture is we see how Paul was considerate of his co-worker's concern. He said of Ephroditus, he's really homesick. You know, Paul was in prison, chained to a guard 24-7. Back then, they didn't have meals they threw into you. A lot of people think that your friends had to bring you food or you starved. And, and so, I mean, he was leaning into Ephroditus. But Paul was like, hey... He's really homesick. He wants to go back home. He longs to see you. So Paul was considerate. He says, man, I really want this guy with me. It's lonely. It's cold. I need somebody with me. But it's better for him. He's really homesick. So you see consideration there. And then Epiditus is considered about the Philippian church. They heard Epiditus had gotten sick and nearly died. 
died. They were afraid that their friend had died. But Epaphroditus, look at this. He said, I want to get back so I can reassure you that I'm okay. Man, that's amazing to me to see the consideration in this scripture. And I believe if we want to be happy people, we got to be considerate people. Look at this next scripture, 1 Corinthians 1.10. It says this, you must, it's not an option, it says you must get along with each other. You must learn to be considerate. We can circle that, learn to be. You must learn to be. Remember we said happiness is something that we can learn. It's, and we, we must learn to be considerate of one another cultivating, look at this, cultivating a life in common. In every marriage, I think, in every relationship, we ought to memorize this scripture. He's saying it takes work when you cultivate to have something in common. It's a skill that you learn together. And you know the reason that marriages stop working today is because they stop working on their marriages. And, and they, they, they just give up on that and they, they don't try anymore. A lot of people give up on their marriages. But it says that to have this common life and, and, this, and, and this ideal of being considerate, uh, it says you have to cultivate that. And brothers and sisters, as a country boy growing crops of corn and soybeans and stuff, and you guys that have grown gardens and, and stuff, you know that cultivation means that you have to prepare the soil, you have to break up the dirt clogs, you have to soil test the ground and put the right nutrients in it and and you have to water it you have to feed it you have to weed it how many know that fruit doesn't come by just planting it and think it's going to be all right we got to keep working on things and trying and getting better and better each each day we got to cultivate paul said we got to cultivate these relationships we got to cultivate it weeds grow automatically but true grain it takes cultivation if you want to be happy number one we got to shift focus off myself and onto others two be a person that's trustworthy three i got to work well with others and here's the final one i got to live for something worth dying for live for something worth dying for i believe that most people are giving first class allegiance to second-class causes, and that, that those causes are not only, uh, they're doing that, but I believe those causes are betraying people. You know, I heard a businessman actually recently that said to me, man, I've just been climbing, I've been fighting, I've been pawing, I've been climbing the ladder of success, and when I finally got to the top, I realized it was leaning on the wrong wall. You know, a lot of times that's the way it goes for us. We, we're given first-class attention and focus and energy on things that don't really even matter. The best use of your life is to invest in things that outlast you. To me, you're not ready to live until you know what's worth dying for. I want to say that again. To me, you're not ready to really live until you know what you're dying for. So in a marriage or in a relationship, we, we're, we're ready to live when we realize that that's worth dying for. You know, if I can just throw this in too. I'm talking about um, live for something worth dying for and, and, and fighting for things. You know, sometimes people want to die for every mountain. 
and, 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 and I, I feel this in relationships and today that some people just got to win everything. You got to win every mountain. You got to win every argument. You got to win everything. You know, the older I get, I count the costs before I get into conflict. Every mountain isn't worth dying for. There needs to be things that you say, there's no give on this. There's no, I'm not moving on this. But guys, that list is pretty short. But really, when we're talking about things worth dying for, if you really want to live, there's things in your marriage you need to die. Man, some of you husbands, some of the wives, man, you guys want to get every, get, win every one of them. Sometimes you got to die and say, that's not that important. It's not that big of a deal. Let it go. I, I really think that. I really think that. But Paul, you know, Aphrodite, he took this letter. They said, man, we got to get this money. We got to get this letter. We got to get this help to Paul that's in prison. They were in Philippi. We got to get this to them. Aphrodite raised up his hand. And he said, I'll take it. And guys, there wasn't planes, trains, and automobiles then. It was walk. This guy said, I will walk. I will face robbers, because he's carrying money. I will face the elements. I will face bandits. I'll do it. I'll do it. You can count on me. You can use me. Remember, Paul said, honor this guy. You can count on me. Use me. And, and, and I got to thinking about that. This guy believed in the work of the Lord so much that he literally put his life down. He almost died. This guy almost died. The, 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 he, he gambled his life for God and he almost died. I want to ask you two questions as we close today. Number one is what commitment have you made that you need to complete? What commitment have you made that you need to com complete? This guy said, I'll take it. He went through it. He almost died, but he completed his mission. Maybe to your spouse. Maybe it's a friend or a child. Or you committed to a small group or ministry in the church. Maybe it was a pledge. Maybe it was a, a, a financial loan. But, but what, have you commit, what have you committed to that you need to complete? Let's be like, be like Aphrodite. Because when we complete these things, it brings us happiness. And the second thing I want to ask you, is your commitment to Christ deep enough that you're willing to risk it all? You know, I was thinking, if we didn't have planes, cars, and automobiles, and I was Paul, what if I stood up in this congregation and said, Hey, we need to take this gift to, we're somewhere like 800 miles away. Even Missouri, let's take it 500 miles to Lamar, Missouri. Would anybody say, hey, I'll do that. There's no plane, there's no car, there's no automobile. I'll do that. And I got to thinking, man, and I don't mean this bad, it's just a thought. But I was like, man, this guy was willing to go 800 miles and to risk and to lay his life down. And sometimes we just ask people to go downstairs and serve in the nursery and it's too far. Seriously, seriously, 
Sometimes when I'm whining, oh, how hard I've got it. Or I'm thinking, man, I don't want to get out of bed and seek God. And I don't want to. Man, Jesus rose from the dead. And we can't even get out of bed. Uh, you see that, that, that happening here. And that's why Paul said, these guys are rare. With every head bowed and eyes closed, are you rare? Are you rare? Are you rare? Does God say of you, sister, this lady is rare. There's not many like her. I've proved her. She's been tested, tried. Man, she is something. How about you? How about you, sir? How about you? Are, can, can Paul or can God say, this guy is rare. He's rare. You know, the happiest people on earth are caring, consistent, cooperative, considerate, and courageous. And that's what I preached on today. And to sum that up, if you didn't hear anything, to sum up today in just one minute is this. Happy people and people that are rare are caring. They get the focus off themselves. They're consistent. They're a trustworthy person, somebody you can count on. They're cooperative and considerate. In other words, they know how to work well, and they know how to be a part of a team. And they're considerate. And finally, they are courageous. They will take risk. Come on, are you a risk taker today? Will you lay it all on the line? There's things in people's life today it's worth dying for. Before you can live and before you can have that happiness you're looking for, it's worth, you got to know it's worth dying for first. I want you to bow your heads and if you want to be like these guys I preached about, I want you to pray this with me. I want you to pray this with you. I want you to say, Lord, help me to get the focus off myself. Lord God, I pray you'll help me to see and genuinely care about others. Lord, help me to get where I see and act on the interests of others and not my own. Lord, help me to be somebody that's trustworthy. Man, I just feel this in the spirit. Husband, are you somebody your wife can trust in? Reliable, dependable? Help me, Lord, to be a trustworthy friend. A trustworthy friend. Help me to be able to conceal things and be there. Lord, help me to be able to get along with others. Help me, Lord, to be considerate and kind. To be a team member, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, help me. Lord, help me to live for something worth dying for. I'm going to ask you to pray the most powerful prayer right here, and it's two words. Two words. I believe is the most powerful prayer. Two words. Use me. Right now, would you just say, use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Use me in however you need me to be used for you, Lord. I want to fulfill your plans, not my plans. If you're not a follower of Christ today and you want to, I want you, if, if you're saying, I'm, I'm away from the Lord, I'm not following Christ, I want you to pray this with me.
Jesus Christ, I want you to come into my life. And I want you to save me. I want you to change me. I want you to make me whole again. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says that when they preach, they preach forgiveness of sin and justification by faith. And what that means is they preach, hey, you can be forgiven of sins. And two, you can be at peace with God. Right now, if you want to be a follower of Christ, say, I want to be at peace with God. And I want my sins to be forgiven. Jesus, come into my heart right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, on the count of three, I want you to stand up. And I want the whole church to stand up. And I just want us to lift a clap to the Lord. One, two, three. Let's stand up and give praise to the Lord today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Lord. Before we leave today, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up. If you came for any reason today, you need prayer for anything, they're here for salvation. They're here to pray for you for healing. Hey, just by the way, all week I've been praying that there would be a healing anointing in our church. Because I know a lot of people need healing, physical, emotional, whatever. So if I've been praying that, I felt God put that on my heart. We believe in anointing with oil, laying hands and praying for the sick. We believe in that. We believe if you're having a tough time, come up and be prayed for. It really does help things. Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. So prayer team, come forward. And prayer team, when you're praying for people, know that people are going to be touched and they're going to be healed today. God bless you. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. We'll see you next week.